0: Well, this week, another return guest. Natasha Bachelor, is a sales arborist for Hartney Graymont, a Davy company. And today we're going to talk all about a little spring prep and maybe some pests, too. How are you doing, Natasha?
1: I'm doing great today. Said,
0: How about you? It's windy in Cape Cod, right?
1: Yeah, that's, that's kind of the daily for us.
0: <laughs> First off, we're talking about spring. That's a positive right there. You know, we're, we're finally getting out of winter What's the first thing you think about when you're looking at your trees for the first part of the season here?
1: Well, um, so going into the spring, we, we typically concentrate on overwintering pests because um, we can apply horticultural oils to for certain pests to smother the insects. So overwintering mites, um, sometimes overwintering eggs of certain insects. Um, we used to have populations of something called winter moth here, which Horticultural oil could help a little bit smothering some of the eggs. So it's really eggs and um, over overwintering um, nymphal stages and things like that.
0: Is it specific trees that get this treatment because, you know, certain insects are on the trees or do all trees get it? How do you decide where you're going to put horticultural oil?
1: Typically the ones that we're going to be able to target um for with the horticultural oils are, are going to be pests and they're typically scales and mites. They're going to be on evergreens. A lot of evergreens have that issue. Um there are some other plants that that can have some some overwintering eggs uh as well. It, it's a case by case basis.
0: Do you have hemlock woolly adelgid up there?
1: Don't we all? Not yet.
0: <laughs> sadly, sadly we did, we do and I've got tons of hemlocks on my property and that's how I'm trying to deal with them. We had a real uh, killer cold snap at Christmas, which always knocks back the hemlock woolly adelgid. But as soon as I see them, as soon as I see them, I, I'm spraying with horticultural oil. Am I waiting too long?
1: No. No, you're not waiting too long. Um, yeah, spring oils are, are, are fine for that, and you can get good control for, for Quite a few months in the spring. Uh, The trick with horticultural oils is we don't want to spray too late um, because you can cause damage to the plants if it gets too warm.
0: And tell me a little bit about scale because when I think of scale in general, I think it is a very difficult pest to deal with like on indoor plants. Is it the same on outdoor plants?
1: It really is. Um, And since we're talking about hemlocks, we have a lot of hemlock elongate scale here. Um, In my experience with that, is it, it, it's pretty difficult to control with oils because, again, with the scales, they have a waxy coating on them and you really have to get good coverage and timing on scales can be problematic. Sometimes you need to get them in the crawler stage, which could just be a couple of days because they start to form that waxy coating pretty quickly.
0: Timing is everything, and, you know, if it's only a couple of days, that's that's tough to schedule.
1: <laughs> it's a challenge. It is a challenge. The key to managing a lot of pests is the overall health of the plant. Um, so they're they're going to be able to kick in their natural defenses if we can keep them healthy.
0: That leads me to fertilization. Is that what we're talking about?
1: Yeah, fertilization is is one part. Um, as things always are, are changing in our industry as we learn more, um, we're, a lot of research has been going on in the past or being published in the past maybe decade or so about soil health. And that's everything from the organic matter in the soil to the nutrient management, which the fertilizer helped deal with one component of that. Um, but a lot of it is uh, what kind of soil do you have? Uh, I think we discussed it last time, but I have clay soils here, uh, which I didn't expect on Cape Cod, um, but there there are some seams of clay. Um, and that makes it really difficult for, for nutrient availability for plants because on clay soils the nutrients kind of bind really closely to the particles
0: well what is the soil like there then because when you said clay I was gonna say don't we all have that because that's what we well, have down here in Pittsburgh
1: <laughs> so a lot of the soils especially as we get um, down towards the end of the world province down the tip of the Cape it gets very very sandy so we have problems with that's kind of the opposite this it, the nutrients just fall right through the soil. There's nothing for them to hold on to. We try to supplement both types of soil with organic matter to try to increase its ability to hold on, to make nutrients available to the plants.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that. You know, let's say we find a spot, you know, the right tree for the right place, but the soil is either that clay or it's real sandy. What do we do? What do we do when we plant? You know, in general, I've heard not to amend the soil for trees, but you can't put a tree in pure clay. We know that's going to be a disaster.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, so with, with the clay uh, organic matter, and we're, we're looking at trying to change the texture of the soil. Um, some ways that we manage that is uh, newer products called biochar, um, which is a supplement to the soil and it can be amended and put in in, in different ways, uh, depending on the, the situation. So it can come in, it can come in large chunks. When you have a really difficult clay area, it can come in rice size chunks. It can come in, um, particle sized chunks, so depending on exactly what kind of soil in the situation that can be added into the soil to help with that exchange capacity for the nutrients.
0: So uh, school me on biochar, and we might've talked about this before, I hear it mentioned all the time in all positive uh, references, but I just I just don't know anything about it. So we di- we di- we dig our planting hole. Let- let's just go with clay, okay? Mm-hmm. We dig our planting hole. It's it's you know it's got some decent soil in there. Tell me about the biochar, what it is, and how you how you apply it.
1: It's 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 mixed. It's mixed in. If you're doing it at planting, it's it's mixed in with um, the soil that you're putting back into the hole. And that would probably be the rice sized. So they come in bags and it has different, different sizes, basically how small it's been chunked down to. So the rice size would be mixed back in with it. Um, if you're dealing with more established plants, then we're looking at mixing it in with air spades or um, putting holes in vertical mulching to apply it, but that's usually done with an air spray. And that material, what it is, is it's um, it's it's basically wood that has been baked more than burned. So when if you think about when you have a fire pit, you end up with a pile of ash at the end. Uh, this, the process that they use leaves the, the cell structure intact. So it provides space and pores for, the soil nutrients
0: to adhere to so i want to talk about the air spade so that would be an instance like you said a tree's already there we we know it's growing in poor soil we can see it's growing in poor soil you can actually explain how the air spade works and i'm just i'm just here's my guess (laughs) then you correct me you're kind of using it to get a hole down into the root zone is that right or is that wrong
1: yeah. So for vertical mulching, what what's happening is we're taking the air spade and the air spade is, is highly compressed air and we're blowing the soil, making a hole by blowing the soil out. And that allows us to put the materials in, directly into the soil. So, you know, in a large mature tree, you're not going to dig it up and change the soils. So it provides an opportunity to mix that material into the soil. The nice thing about the air spade is it doesn't kill the roots. It doesn't break the roots apart. So we're able to get into the ground without severing the roots. You might get some fine feeder roots that blow out, but the main root structure is it stays intact without any damage. And then we're able to just basically funnel it into that hole if we're doing vertical mulching. Alternatively, um, this vertical, I might get the name wrong, but we're, we're blowing out sections of the soil in the radius of the tree and then mixing the materials in with the air spade, kind of like stirring um, your mixture for baking a pie or baking a cake. You're, you're mixing all the ingredients together. So we're, we're stirring it up with the air spade with those amendments in.
0: When you're using an air spade in general, like how deep deep does it go to, to do that type of work?
1: Um, If, if, if it's not too compacted, so, or if you don't have too, too intensive clay, you can usually get at least 12 inches down and that's where a good portion of your root system is. Um, if it's, if it's harder compaction or it's a really intense clay, um, you got to use a basically a larger air compressor to get that pressure.
0: And the biochar doesn't provide nutrients. It's just providing space so that we can get nutrients into it is do I have that right
1: exactly it's it's providing pore space for those those nutrients to, to attach to the surfaces to be available for the plants and also for air and for water
0: where would you use the bigger chunks of biochar
1: um, the bigger chunks can be helpful in the, in the vertical mulching um, just it's it's sometimes easier to put them in in to the holes that you've created with the air spade
0: for sandy soil. What do you do there? If it's super sandy and you're going to put a tree in, what needs to be done in that planting area?
1: In those cases, we're adding organic matter. Um, so it, it can it usually want some aged organic matter. Often aged manure is a good one to use. Um, obviously, you don't want 100%. So you're mixing it back in with the soil, the sandy soil.
0: So I've been told, again, that like, you, if you were, were to dig a planting hole... And if you do amend it, those roots will stay in there. What are you doing to make them spread out? Uh, is it just the mixture of that organic matter and bigger holes, or
1: I would say bigger holes is the way to go. Um, you know, if, if, if the soil if the soil types are that different, um, you know, ideally you're mixing some of the original material with your amendments.
0: And bigger hole, that, that to me says I need a pro because I don't want to dig a bigger hole. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about uh, the fertilization that we've talked about with this with arborist before with like the, it's a probe or something you put in, you put in a liquid fertilizer. Is that a, a spring thing or is that later in the season?
1: Um, it can be done. Spring's a good time to do it. It can be done in the fall. Um, it, it can really be done anytime during the growing season as long as you're using a slow release. We use a suspension in water uh, so it actually needs microbial activity to break it down. So If you do it in the summer, it's not going to go anywhere until the soil temperatures are at the right, the ideal conditions for microbial action.
0: Talk a little bit about when you look at a tree, how you, and I know this is a a really open-ended question, but how do you know whether it's going to, when you're looking at it, that it's going to be an air spade with biochar or a, a liquid fertilizer probe or both, how are you making these decisions?
1: Um, this usually confuses my clients, but when I show up on a tree to property to look at a tree, um, I kind of give a glance at the crown, um, just looking for overall health: are the buds good, or the leaves good, or is there dieback, and that kind of thing. And I go right onto my knees, right down to the root flare where the tree meets the soil. Uh, probably 75% of my properties, that's the first place I'm going and I will take a chaining pen and a soil probe. So the chaining pen is, it, it just has measurements on it. It's a narrow pen. And I try to determine what the root, where the roots are. We often have, uh, trees that the root flare is missing. So I'm trying to look to see where that is. Um, and if the root flare is buried, then I'm thinking air spade because we got to get that soil away from that root flare so that we don't get girdling roots. Um, that can promote rot at the base of the tree, which is obviously not good for the tree. So that immediately calls for an air spade. Um, <clears throat> and then the soil probe I use to, to get a feel for what the soil looks like. So is it, is it a nice sandy soil? Is it a nice loam? Is it like mine where I have 42 inches of clay, though my, my probe doesn't go down that far. I did some special testing on that. Um, so based on what the soil looks like, that's, that's when we're going to start thinking about other options. And then if it's an unusual soil, we're thinking about soil tests. So sending it off to a lab to determine texture and what nutrients are available to the plants in that soil.
0: And, you know, from talking to arborists, I know how bad it is to have that root flare covered. Is that usually from improper planting or does it happen over time?
1: It's usually from a combination of improper planting and um, overzealous mulching. I want to be nice about that. It's overzealous mulching. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes people throw extra soil on thinking that that's going to be their best bet in order to plant other things around. And then that can cause problems later down the line.
0: AKA volcano mulching. uh. (laughs) Doesn't it drive you nuts?
1: It does. It does. Um, People are starting. I think they're starting to learn. I get more questions about from people. is, Is my mulch too high rather than having to point it out to them? They're starting to understand that they need to pay attention to that.
0: Natasha, my own son Sent me a picture when he moved into his house a couple of years ago. What what he want? What he was doing on his huge Japanese maple? And I just about had a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> I think I need I need I need you to come down with the air spade right away. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I had a client who had a had a, probably about two and a half feet of uh, mulch on against their trunks, and I. I I was like, "This is this is too high," and she was like, "Are you kidding me? I just had that done a week ago."
0: <laughs> I tell this story all the time. You know, the Davey guys here in Pittsburgh—they come on my radio show, and Davey used to take care of this complex across the road from us. And some new manager of the property took over and ordered Davey to do volcano mulching. And of course, they said, "Ethically, that's you can't. You're gonna." And every time I pull out of there, I am not kidding you. These big giant oaks have at least six feet of volcano mulching on there, and they just keep going up and up and up. And you know, we talk a lot about volcano mulching on the podcast, and I, I I just every time I drive out, I I just shake my head, and I, I just I feel so sorry for the tree. To tell you the truth, you know how we have this affection for trees, and to see that just because somebody doesn't know any better and they, but they've been told better, but they think they know better.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately we can't get to everyone.
0: <laughs> well, I, I, it's my mission. Every It's my mission to get to everybody. Uh, so we've kind of, we've kind of gone down a different path of, than spring pass and, but good stuff. What else were you thinking about talking about when we were talking about spring? Was there something else that we missed?
1: Well, um, yeah, the, it's important for people to know what they have so they know what they can anticipate for pest problems. Um, so one of the things I run into in late spring is people start to see issues with their leaves on their trees. They've got spots, they've got scabs, they look, you know, brown or wilted. And a lot of times they're dealing with fungal issues and the important thing to understand on that is those are treated generally preventatively. So understanding that you have maybe a crab apple that's more prone to apple scab, we've got to get in there and get them a program to preventatively try to manage that. It's It's got to start right as the leaves start to emerge. And if we are looking at them, once the leaves are fully out, we're not going to be able to treat for that particular disease issue, it's already occurred.
0: Well, I was definitely going to go with crab apple as soon as you said fungal diseases. And if you've got a crab apple that every year drops its leaves, gets apple scab, it just makes perfect sense to treat before you see signs of damage. But I think that's a hard concept for many homeowners to understand. Usually it's the reverse. You 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 wait until you see some kind of, you know, leaf you know, something chewing your leaves or something, then you treat it. But for fungal issues, boy, getting to it early is important, right?
1: Exactly. So get an arborist out there to provide a care plan for your property early, early spring before things really start to leaf out. That's the key.
0: And before things get crazy busy, you know, before this is true. before we get into the summer storm season and all that stuff, have an arborist out early. I, I have an arborist on my property at least twice a year uh, because I'm in a, a declining oak forest and I talk about it all the time. And every time I lose an oak, I try and put something in that's kind of cool, something different. And my arborist always has some kind of cool and different thing I can put in. That's where I'm going to, Natasha, that's where I'm going to put you on the spot. We we repeat this mantra over and over again, right tree, right place. But tell me something cool, unusual that doesn't get planted as much as it should that when you find the right spot for it and the right client, you can recommend.
1: Uh, I'm a big fan of Stuardias. Um, we don't we don't a lot. Of, they're not planted a lot around here, um, and I think it's just because people don't know about them. They're a beautiful plant. They offer interest year round, um, and they're relatively as long as they're pr- planted properly. They're relatively pest free. I've seen very few pest issues on them.
0: Well, I love Stewardia more than anything. Talk about that. What you say, year-round interest. Uh, give me, give me every season that you like with Stewardia, and sell it.
1: <laughs> well, uh, my favorite time of year for trees is is winter, which is kind of counterintuitive to most people. Um, and Stewardia just has a really great exfoliating bark. The it's got multiple colors, and it, it just. Especially if the sun's hitting it right, it's it's just a showstopper. It's it's kind of got creams and bronzes and browns. It's really neat looking. Um, and then uh, you know, just it looks good when it's budding out in the spring. Everybody loves to see that that beautiful fresh green coming out. And then it it, it blooms kind of late June around here, early July. Um, and I think they look like big strawberry blossoms. I think they're a really cool looking blossom. And in the fall, the fall colors, it's it's just like an orangey-reddish. It's just really cool. So I I love it year-round.
0: I have mine cited that when the sun sets and comes through the trees, it illuminates that exfoliating bark, and you are right.
1: That's got to be amazing.
0: It's just something about it. And for me, you know, mine's been in the ground, I don't know, three, four seasons now. I'm still too new to it. It's still, a, I guess it's still a surprise for me when I come around the corner and it's blooming. Uh, and, and I guess I would say the blooms to me look kind of more like peonies. But that's a good explanation, strawberry blossoms. That's a great tree.
1: It really is. I, I, I It's one of my go-tos for recommending something to somebody who wants something unusual.
0: And hardy-wise, no problem in Cape Cod? No,
1: none at all uh we have a uh garden museum here called Heritage Museum and Gardens and they have uh a section of probably like 8 to 10 of them It's two different kinds and it's it's just a it's a beautiful little spot they call it the Arbor Bowl and they're big they've been there for quite a while
0: i did so there are like just like anything else there are some other those different cultivars of stewardia is that what you're telling me
1: there there, there are two. Uh, yeah, there's, there's two that I primarily think of. There's one that's kind of almost got more of a copper bark.
0: That's going to be something I'm going to have to search out. I didn't even know that. Natasha, I'm telling you, that went by so quick. I think you and I could talk for another half hour about trees and what you're doing. So I just want to thank you for, for coming on again, and I can't wait till we can talk again. That was so much fun. I need to do a deep dive on biochar, though, one of these days.
1: It's a new one. It's, it, it's definitely a learning curve.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Natasha. Thank you. Tune in every Thursday to the Talking Trees podcast from the Davy Tree Expert Company. I'm your host, Doug Oster. Next week, it's Pruning 101, Why Late Winter is the Perfect Time to Get the Job Done, and information on how to prune the right way. And do me a favor, subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss one of our fun episodes. We're getting lots of great ideas and feedback through email. Send me a message to podcasts, that's plural, at davey.com, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S at D-A-V-E-Y.com. And as always, we like to remind you on the Talking Trees podcast, trees are the answer.